It was my first day of eighth grade. Up until that point, I had gone to a small Christian school, but this was it. My first day in a public school, I was the new kid, which meant I didn't know where anything was. I didn't know how things worked. I made it through the morning all right, but then came lunchtime. Yes, that dreaded lunchtime. And like so many other new kids before me, there I sat eating my lunch all alone at a table all by myself. As I felt what felt like dozens of eyes peering at the back of my head. I was an outsider. Now, thankfully, after just a few minutes, there was a group of guys at a nearby table who invited me to join them, to eat lunch with them, which was really nice. That meant a lot. And I was undergoing that process of being an outsider but being welcomed in to the inside. Although I pretty quickly learned that that was a group of guys I should not be hanging around. (laughs) Later that same year, though, in the locker room getting ready for gym class, that same guy who invited me to join their group for lunch asked me out of the blue a random question. He said, Nick, do you swear? I said, no. So he thought for a second. He said, are you a Christian? I said, yeah. And that was the end of our conversation. It was short and sweet. We went about our day after that. And that's not to say they're mutually exclusive, that all Christians don't swear, that everybody who swears isn't a Christian, but rather that people notice the little things, that the little things can make a difference. People notice those things. During my freshman year of high school, one of my best friends had invited me to attend his bar mitzvah. Now, a bar mitzvah is a Jewish ceremony, a coming-of-age passage, And uh, we, looking back, we joke about how funny it was that my Jewish friend invited me, his Christian friend, and also his Hindu friend to his Jewish bar mitzvah. And it uh, it was an interesting experience. It was different from anything that I had been used to having grown up in this church here. But it was really cool getting to be there for him. I didn't understand a lot of what was going on, especially because a lot of it was in Hebrew. Uh, But it was so cool getting to be there for my friends to be there for him in something that was special, something that was important to him. But I felt like an outsider there. It was not my place. After I graduated from high school, I had the most brilliant plan. I scheduled my open house for the morning so it didn't conflict with anybody else's and everybody would come to my party and had brunch and it was, it was great But I also, it worked out well because I had a soccer game that day that I wasn't planning to play. I had family in town, but we were going to be short a few guys. So I went and I played my game. And it worked out because I was on my way home from Kalamazoo. And I stopped off in Battle Creek. And I went to the open house for one of my friends who was Indian. Now I had just played a soccer game outdoors in June. And I showed up at his open house. And it's the most beautiful, ornate house and party, and everybody was wearing these fancy, colorful clothes. And I just played a soccer game outside in June, hadn't showered, my hair was still matted from dried sweat, threw on a polo and shorts, walked into the party, and quickly realized I was the only white person there. I don't know if I've ever felt like more of an outsider. I don't know if I've ever felt more out of place than in that moment. 
And so within a few minutes, I found my friend whose open house it was. I found some of our other friends, and we were hanging out, and I commented about how out of place I felt being at his open house. And he told me that's exactly how they had felt being at my open house earlier that same day. Being an outsider. Does anyone like being an outsider? None of us. You feel like you're on the outside. You feel uncomfortable. You feel like you don't belong. It's not your place. It's not a fun situation to be in, being an outsider. It might be because you're going to a new school. It might be because you're starting a new job. You're moving to a new community. You're around a new group of people. You feel like you don't belong. There's some difference that you have between yourself and these other people. Maybe it's something that's external. Maybe it's something that's internal. But for some reason, you feel like you don't belong. This isn't your place. You're an outsider. And then, if you're not particularly outgoing or if you're socially introverted like I am, it's like way more uncomfortable and awkward and stressful being in those situations. But sometimes in order for us to really understand what it's like to be an outsider— we actually have to experience being an outsider, to put ourselves in the shoes of outsiders. And sometimes even that isn't enough. But as we seek to shift our perspective, to think about being in the shoes of an outsider, I want you to know that every single one of you is so welcome to be here with us today. Those of you here in person, those of you who are joining us online, this is for everybody. Like, everybody is welcome to be here And I am so glad that you've chosen to join us today. Whether it's because it's your first time attending, or maybe you don't know anybody here, or maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian, or any other reason, this place can feel uncomfortable. You can feel like an outsider here. That's not the goal, but that's just a reality. This is not a club exclusively for insiders. Everybody's welcome. But let's be honest. Church is weird. Have you ever thought about how weird church is? We wake up early on our day off. We drive to some random building and meet up with a group of people we won't talk to until we've had our coffee. We sing a bunch of songs that people are supposedly somehow supposed to know, but it's not a concert. And then some random guy gets up here and gives a TED talk about something from the Bible. And then we also talk about drinking the blood and eating the body of Jesus. It makes perfect sense, right? Church is weird. Christians are weird. Why do people want to be a part of this? And yet, we're called to to make disciples and to invite other people to be here and to love our neighbor, to welcome people. I remember a, a former ministry leader of mine, he coined the phrase, weird is the new normal. Weird is the new normal. It may be weird, but we can help that become the new normal for someone So what does that look like? How do we help that happen? Well, I know it may be hard for you to to shift your perspective or your mindset of how you approach something, but what if you looked at church like you were a first-time visitor or like you were an outsider? At some point in time, we all had our first time in this church or in a church. Maybe it's so long ago you can't even remember it. Maybe it's today for you, in which case I'm so glad that you are here, that you are with us, that you took the step of faith to join us today. But regardless, we've all experienced that. And so maybe it means, depending on that, thinking about what it was like as a new person, as a visitor. What if you stopped and asked yourself what you would be thinking or how you would be feeling walking into this space? What are the people like? Are they kind? Are they welcoming? Are they hospitable? 
What's the space like? What do they do here? What are they all about? And here's the thing. Church is not meant to just be within these walls. It's not just meant to be for an hour on Sunday morning. Church is meant, it's the people. It's meant to be lived out outside of these walls all during the week. And so if these people in this church also happen to live and work and do life in the community around, then that means you're going to see them around. So when you see them around, what are they like when they're not at church? When they're not around church people? They seem to really live out what they believe, what they are preaching on Sunday? Does their life seem consistent with what they claim to believe? Do I know they're a Christian? Do I recognize that there's something different about them, even just from watching them or listening to them or observing them? Last month, a group of the high school students, we were in Brooklyn, New York, on a mission trip. And we had the privilege of going to a couple different churches for service that Sunday morning. The group that was with me, uh, the church that we went to, it was amazing. I think one of the things that most stood out to us was how welcoming everybody was to us. It was pretty apparent, granted it was a smaller church, but it was pretty apparent that we were visitors, that we were outsiders. And yet, I don't think there was a single person who did not go out of their way to come up to us, to talk to us, to welcome us, to greet us, to say hi. They all came. It was so refreshing. There was a love and a joy emanating from these people. It was very clear that they wanted us to be there, that they were welcoming us to be there. What if you put yourself in the shoes of an outsider? How does this shift in perspective or mindset affect the way that you live, not just while you're at church, but during the course of the entire week, as you're going through your day to day? People are watching you. We all have an opportunity before us. What kind of witness am I to the people that I encounter during the course of each day? Now, none of us is perfect, but as Christians, we are held to a higher standard. Fair or not, it's true. Jesus tells us, he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfection. There's not a higher standard than that out there. And are we able to live perfectly on our own? No, of course not. We have the Holy Spirit in us to do that, to help us with that. But that's the standard that's been set. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, who have the Holy Spirit living in us, convicting us of sin, sanctifying us, which just means making us more holy, more like Jesus, we have him to help perfect us, to set good examples. And for those who are not following Jesus, we can't have those same standards or expectations because they don't have the Holy Spirit living in them convicting them of sin. But people are watching us. And I don't just mean like in a casual way, like people watching, which it's fun and entertaining in its own right. But people are actually watching you deeply, whether you realize it or not. They're observing. They're listening. They're seeing what you do. They're learning from you. And you never know who's watching. And so as we take a minute to reread our passage here in Colossians today, as we... uh, unpack it a little bit. Now, as we talk about how to handle the responsibility that comes from living in a world that watches us, let's take another look at what Paul has to say. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. He says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. 
Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, if you've read much of Paul and his letters in the New Testament before, one of the things that you may have observed is that a lot of Paul's letters, he, he has the, the main part of the letter and the, the big things he wants to communicate to the particular person or church. And then once he gets through the meat of it, he kind of just has these miscellaneous random thoughts at the end that he just throws in at the end. It's like, oh, uh, P.S. this, and also this, and also, also that. And when I read this passage here in Colossians, it can kind of feel a little bit like Paul's just throwing his random stuff at the end of the letter. When we look a little bit deeper, I think there really is some good cohesion to what he's communicating here. And so as we unpack this passage this morning, I want to invite you to consider, as we are witnesses to a world that watches us, three aspects of your life and what that looks like for you to live that out to be a good witness to a watching world. So the first aspect we're going to look at this morning is the inside life. The inside life. Now, really, this is, this is highlighting prayer, uh, but beyond that, our personal relationship with God. Something that Paul talks about here in this passage, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, to watchfulness, to thankfulness. He says, pray that God opens a door for our message that we would clearly proclaim the mystery of Christ. Prayer is such an essential part of being a witness to a watching world. And of course, we can unpack this idea of prayer, looking at lots of different scripture, but uh, perhaps the most well-known that we could find would be the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And I want to actually look at the few verses before that this morning as Jesus teaches his disciples what prayer can look like, the circumstances surrounding prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And then he launches into our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and on and on. Prayer is not about putting on a show. Prayer is about the inside life, the secret life, the personal life. It's me and God. Now, that's not to say that we don't pray in community. We've already done that here together today. Prayer happens in community as believers as well, but it starts within. It starts between me and God. It's about growing deeper in relationship with the Father. And Paul doesn't just say, pray when you feel like it. He says, be devoted to prayer, which means that we are constantly attending in prayer, that we are persistent, persevering, continuing steadfast in, waiting upon. Are you waiting upon God? Are you persistent, persevering in your time with God? Are you constantly attending to God? I know I'm not. I have so much room to grow in that and what that looks like. But what could that look like for you to do that? I know life is busy. God just wants us. He just wants our hearts. God just desires for us to desire him, to grow closer to him, to grow deeper in relationship with him. It's not about putting on a show. It's not about, as Jesus says there, standing on the street corner and praying for everybody to be able to hear how good of a prayer you are. Guess what? We all have room to grow in how we pray. 
The reality is that even if we aren't doing it for people to watch us, people are watching. We are witnesses to a watching world. And that word witness, it comes from the Greek word martis, which is where we get the word martyr from. A martyr is someone who, has, who dies for their faith, who dies for what they believe. Now, Jesus calls us to die to self, which means to, to surrender, to sacrifice, to lay aside our own desires, our own wants, and to just follow after him and to make him known. He tells his disciples right before he ascends into heaven, his final words that we have recorded in the scripture, he says that you'll be my witnesses all throughout the earth. Jesus is calling us to be witnesses of what we've heard and seen. And this might seem obvious, but being a witness implies that you are an eyewitness or an ear witness, that you've seen or heard something. I know I would not be very apt to believe a witness in a trial if they hadn't seen or heard whatever it was that they were attesting to. So if we're not spending time with Jesus, witnessing Jesus at work, why on earth should people believe what we have to say about him? Why on earth should they want to, to draw near to him? Rather, Jesus calls us to be eye and ear witnesses of what he is doing. And you might think, well, but we're not the disciples. We're not walking around with Jesus, experiencing what he's doing and listening to him teach. And while that might be true, Jesus is still at work. He still is at work in our lives, in the world around us. We can still listen to him in prayer, in time in the word he speaks to us through a time of worship Jesus just desires for us to desire him more, to grow deeper in relationship with him. And so if we want to be good witnesses to a world that watches us, it starts within. It starts with the inside life. Jesus is at work. Are we watching? Are we telling others of what he's done? And with each of these aspects this morning of our lives, I want to give you a challenge uh, to maybe help put this into practice this week. So challenge with the inside life. Spend 10 minutes of uninterrupted, intentional time in prayer each day this week. Use it as an opportunity for watchfulness, which just simply means standing on guard against sin. For thankfulness, giving thanks, telling God thank you for whatever he's done. Use it as an opportunity for worship. Worship the attitude of your heart. Maybe it's worship through song. Maybe it's incorporating time in the word into that. But just simply getting time, just you and God. That's a, a great place to start. So one, the inside life. Number two, the inside out life. Not only do we need time with God to grow in, in our knowledge of him and grow deeper in our relationship with him, but we actually have to live it out with our words and actions. It's not about the outside things and the world around me that fill me. Those things are all temporary. They do not satisfy. But rather, because of who's within me, as a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit living in us, that that empowers us, changes me from the inside out, and that's being lived out through me. Jesus says in Luke 6, he says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Am I a good tree bearing good fruit? Or am I a bad tree bearing bad fruit? Or maybe even worse, claiming to be a good tree that's bearing no fruit at all or bearing bad fruit. 
Is good coming out of me? Do my words and actions align with one another? Do they align with who Jesus is? Now, if I were to ask the general population if they could just give some words that they would use to describe Christians, would I presume two of the most common negative answers that I would receive would be judgmental and hypocritical. And in fact, I actually came across an article this week by a pastor, Kerry Neunhoff. He used those two very same words, judgmental, hypocritical. And that might be really sad or infuriating to hear that. And unfortunately, there's probably some truth to it as well. But they go hand in hand. Hypocrite literally means play actor. In Matthew 6, we looked at it a minute ago, the, the people standing out on the street corner praying, but being hypocrites about it because they're saying one thing, but their lives are showing another. When we're a hypocrite, our words and our actions don't line up. We say one thing, we do another. And then when we judge other people for doing the things that we say we don't or won't do, but then we go do those things, we're not only judgmental, we're hypocritical at the same time. We have to be consistent. We have to show the love of Jesus. Our words and our actions need to align with one another and need to align with who Jesus is. After last Sunday, I got an email from someone in the congregation just uh, offering some thoughts. And there's such an insightful bit of wisdom in here that she sent. I wanted to share this with you all. She said, I've heard Jesus' kingdom described as an upside-down kingdom. And I think you also taught that it is an inside-out kingdom, changing hearts and systems from within. I love that analysis. Jesus changes us from the inside out. He changes our hearts from within. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. He's making us more like Jesus if we let him. And that interchange fuels that outward action. I think about the book of James towards the end of the New Testament. One of his big themes, the main things that he talks about, is our faith fueling our works, being put into action. If people are attracted to our church or to a group of Jesus followers, then what ultimately attracts them shouldn't even as much be those people themselves as it is Jesus himself lived out in and through us. That that's what attracts people. So the inside-out life, it's all about living out what's happening within and aligning, being consistent with our words and our actions, aligning with who Jesus is. And so the challenge with that this morning, take some time to do an honest assessment of your life. How consistent of a person are you? Do your words and your actions align with each other and with Jesus? Are there things that you're holding on to that you need to confess or surrender to the control of the Holy Spirit and allow him to, the room to change you from the inside out? So inside life, inside out life, finally the outside life. This is all about taking steps of faith. In Colossians 4, Jesus says, pray that God would open a door for our message. Pray that we would clearly proclaim the mystery of Christ. I heard a story about two farmers who both desperately needed rain. One of them, he went out and he prepared his fields to receive the rain, while the other one sat at home and waited. Which one do you think trusted God to bring the rain? It's the first one, of course. He trusted that God would bring the rain. And what does that mean for us? Are we preparing for God to bring the rain? Are we sowing the seeds and trusting God to bring the growth? 
are we praying that God opens a door for our message, for us to be able to engage with the people around us so that we would clearly and boldly proclaim who Jesus is? I love what Paul writes the end of Ephesians chapter 6, right towards the end of that letter, as he's just finished talking about the armor of God. He says, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. First Peter chapter 3, Peter writes, he says, In your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And do this with gentleness and respect. Jesus, speaking to his disciples in Matthew 10 as he's sending them out, he says, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. In order for us to take steps of faith towards other people, again, it goes back to prayer and our relationship with God. But we have to be preparing for that. We have to be asking God to give us the words to say, asking God to give us those opportunities, those open doors to walk through in conversation, that he would help us to boldly and fearlessly and clearly proclaim the gospel. He's going to give us the words. He's going to speak through us. We have to be ready. So what does that look like? Well, the other thing that Paul talks about here in Colossians is he talks about our, our interactions with the people around us. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Outsiders just means non-believers. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace and seasoned with salt. That doesn't mean you just carry a thing of salt around with you and just, you know, throw it up as you're talking to people. Being in that way is, it's about being life-giving, life-preserving. Point people towards the answers, towards Jesus. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. And when he says act, this doesn't mean act like as an actor, not as a hypocrite. It's not putting on a show. It's not putting on a front or a face towards non-believers. Rather, it literally means walk in the sense of live. Be wise in how you live among outsiders, among those who do not believe. Be wise in how you walk towards outsiders. And I love that he says that it implies we're walking toward outsiders. Be wise in how you do that. That you are walking towards those, that you're doing life with them, that you're engaging in relationship with those who do not know Jesus. Are we walking towards them? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, he describes what this looks like a little bit more. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave. There's that word doulos we looked at last week to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. So what's the bottom line? What is Paul getting at? Do whatever you can to reach people for Jesus. Do it in love. And it's not about engaging in sin. It's about meeting people where they are. There's a difference. He says in Romans 12, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That Holy Spirit renewing and transforming us 
from within. We need to meet people where they are. We can't expect everyone to come to us to where we are. And as we're living out in the world around us, we have to be good examples, good witnesses. So the challenge with the outside life, take one step of faith in conversation this week. Maybe it's bringing up spiritual things to somebody. Maybe it's inviting them to church. Maybe it's just talking to someone that you wouldn't normally. Asking questions, getting to know them, engaging in conversation with them, whatever that might look like. If you want an example of some open-ended spiritual questions, here's a few. What is your view of God? Who do you believe Jesus to be? What has your experience with faith or spirituality been like? What has your experience with church or Christians been like? What are some spiritual questions that you find yourself pondering? Maybe it's just asking, hey, what's your life story? Tell me about yourself. And they can take that any direction they want to. But these build upon one another, the inside life that I'm growing deeper in my knowledge of my relationship with God. The inside out life that I'm living that out by the power of the Holy Spirit in me. And the outside life that I'm taking steps of faith towards people, trusting that God will give me the words, that he will give me the opportunities to engage them, to share Jesus with them, that my interactions with them would point them towards him. If we want to be good witnesses to a watching world, then we need to be in a good, healthy place in all three of those areas. And so this week, maybe just pick one of those areas that you especially feel like you need to grow in and put that challenge into action. Remember that it's not done alone. This is meant to be in community with other believers, encouraging and supporting each other. Ultimately, it's all about bringing God glory and making him known. Am I reaching out to those outside of the family of God and inviting them to join the family as I engage them in relationship? I was thinking this week about my days as a a college student, walking through campus between classes, seeing the sea of thousands of other college students doing the same. And I remember many, many times that thought crossing my mind of how many of them don't know Jesus. So many people who don't know Jesus. It's sad, it's overwhelming, it's heartbreaking, it's challenging. No matter where we go, people who don't know Jesus. There were some people who saw fit to stand in the middle of campus with their megaphones and yell at people, to yell at students and tell them that they were going to hell. I was told that I was going to hell by a stranger who didn't even know me and who didn't take the time to talk to me. And if he would have done so, I would have told him all about my faith in God, my relationship with Jesus, how I had been saved because of my belief in his death and resurrection. Seeing people come to know Jesus happens in relationship. Jesus, in his ministry, was all about people. He was spending time with them, investing in them, caring for them, talking with them, doing life with them, and loving them. And that ministry of Jesus has been entrusted to us. So how can I shift my perspective as a follower of Jesus to see the people in the world the way that Jesus sees them? How can I look at those outside of the family of God and see them as Jesus puts it in Matthew 9, as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, that I would show them compassion? How can I meet people where they are to take a step of faith towards them and invite them into the family of God? People are watching. What kind of witness are you to this watching world in need of a Savior? 
I'll close with the words of Jesus. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Let the world know us by our love. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you saw fit to come to this earth, to be with us, to walk among us, to set the perfect example for us of love and relationship lived out. Jesus, you sought after people. Help us to learn from that. Thank you that you lived that perfect sinless life we were intended to live but failed to do. Thank you that you went to that cross, that you died the death that we deserved as a penalty for our sins, that you took our place, that you rose from the grave to conquer sin and death to give us the opportunity for new life. Jesus, thank you that we have been entrusted with this ministry of bringing you glory and making you known. I pray for each person here today, Lord, wherever they're at in their relationship with you, whatever area that we've talked about this morning that they especially need to see growth in, I pray that they would take that step of faith to trust you with that area of their life. Lord, I pray for the week ahead, for the conversations that will happen, for the relationships that will be built, for the moments where people are able to just simply point to you. Pray that you would allow us to boldly and clearly and fearlessly make you known and speak the truth of who you are. Holy Spirit, give us the words to say, help us to be ready for those moments, whenever those opportunities come. Because we're not always going to expect those moments. Holy Spirit, thank you for empowering us, for being with us wherever we go. Help us to be good witnesses to this world that watches, that people would see us and bring you the glory. So we give the rest of this day to you. Jesus, we know it's all about you. Let the world Know us by our love. In your wonderful, powerful, loving name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite Chris to come forward and close out service for us.